Um, I trust that you're all well. Typically, if you know, I were to ask how you all going, we're all very you know thoughtful Australian people. So you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the person next to me responds. So I'm not going to do that, but I hope to catch up with uh, with you after the service and actually ask how are you going. Um, we're going to jump into the word tonight. We're in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got a Bible on your smartphone, go ahead and open that. We're in Acts chapter 14, um, and we've we've been in Acts all year. We're going to be in Acts probably next year as well by the the pace that we're going through. But uh, I trust that you're finding our opening of the Word of God something that is fruitful to your life. Now, because we are this close, and uh, I I see that everybody has stayed out of the the spit zone, and that's no longer a joke. (laughs) It is actually a bit of a spittle zone. Uh, But feel free to to respond, to, to interact, you know, heckle, um, you know, throw fruit. Uh, if you don't like something, go for it. Um, I'm impervious to that stuff. I've been a high school teacher, so uh, I've seen much worse. So do your worst. Uh, I'm looking at this troublemaking row here. Um, Jack's already giving me those uh, troublemaking eyes. So Abby, you better keep hold of him there. Acts chapter 14. And tonight we are continuing our series on seeing faith, and uh, we're talking about discipleship tonight. We're talking about what it means to really be a follower of Jesus, because if you're here tonight, you've made your way to church, chances are you've, the majority of you have grown up with that as kind of like a habit. It's, it's a family cultural thing, and it's you know, deeply ingrained, and so you're like, no, this is an important thing, we need to get along to church. And so you come, and you sort of fulfill that part of your weekly routine, uh, and you know that it's doing you some good, it's doing you some benefit, you're getting closer to God, uh, maybe through the, whatever it is that happens tonight, whether that's through singing or whether it's through uh, looking at this thing. But does that equal discipleship? Does that actually equal what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because I would tell you, I would say to you that Monday to Saturday is probably a much better indication of whether you're actually a disciple of Jesus, whether you're actually following him, rather than what you do on Sunday. And this is important. What we do here is obviously important. That's why we do it. I probably wouldn't have a job, but it was certainly not this job if we didn't do Sundays. It's important. But largely, our job is not to work for Sundays. It's actually to work so that your Monday to Saturday looks like you're a disciple of Jesus, looks like you're a follower of Jesus. And so I, I wonder if we could just pause and you could just think, is that the, the mentality, is that the mindset that you come with to think, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm, I'm here on a Sunday because I believe this is important, but much more important is the fact that in Monday, to, Monday through to Saturday, I've got to live it out, or live it out on Sunday too. So just reflect for a moment. Are, are you ready? Are you postured before the Lord right now to ask him to, to, feel, to fill your heart, to fuel you, to draw you closer to him so that for the rest of your life, not just two hours on a Sunday afternoon or on a Sunday morning, you're ready to be an actual follower of him, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is your heart ready to be changed by the word tonight? Or is it more, are you more motivated by your, your stomach and the food afterwards? 
Well, I might just quickly pray and then, and then we'll get properly stuck in. Lord, we just acknowledge that this is all pointless without you. That we can put all of our best energy into doing something, but if, if you're not here and present by your Holy Spirit and if you're not working in hearts, then what we do tonight has no significance and no difference whatsoever. And so we just humbly ask, God, by your grace, that you would speak to us. Lord, that as a result of tonight, we would be drawn closer to you. Help us, Lord. Amen. Now, there was a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Has anyone heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? A couple of hands uh, go up. Now, he was uh, a theologian who uh, was German. His name sounds German. Uh, and he lived through the, the Second World War. Now, when you hear that I'm talking about somebody called a theologian, I know what most of you are thinking. is like, ah, if I walk into a room and uh, somebody points at that guy and go, he's a theologian, I'm like, okay, I'm steering clear. Don't, don't really want to, you know, raise a topic of conversation with that guy. But let me just try and adjust that for you, okay? Because, in a, okay, there are some theologians that definitely you do want to let them sit in the corner of the room and, and have a conversation with, uh, with somebody else. But largely... A theologian is just a Christian person who thinks. A Christian person who has gone, you know what, I want to think about what does God mean in this situation? What's God saying? What's God like in this situation? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was somebody who, uh, you know, after he died, there was a, a collection of his writings and it's known as the cost of discipleship. And if you can imagine being somebody who was a Christian and a, and a thinker going through the Second World War, there was a lot to think about. Living in Germany, you know, under the Nazi regime, there was a lot to think about. And this collection of his writings is called The Cost of Discipleship. And he's famous for coming up with a term called cheap grace. Cheap grace. Sometimes called easy believism. And that's the idea that you can, you can access grace and that you can just go on and live your life and your, your life is going to be easy. You can kind of tack Christianity onto the, the side. It's kind of like an appendix, an addendum to your actual life. But largely, it's an easy access to grace, and you can get to, you know, basically do what you want. Right now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer eventually was uh, captured and executed for his involvement in a, a plot to assassinate Hitler. So he knew a little bit about suffering. He knew a little bit about the, the actual cost of following Jesus in the world around him, in the scenario of the world around him. And so tonight, what I'm going to give you the opportunity to do is I'm going to invite you to step out of cheap grace and into true discipleship. Because when we see Jesus in his ministry, when he was walking around and, and people gathered around him, more number than we've got tonight, thousands of people would gather around him. And I don't know about you, but what do you think a preacher's going to do? You know, they, they're used to like maybe 20 people rocking up on a, on, a, on a Sunday, and then suddenly one morning or one evening, hang on a minute, suddenly there's thousands of people who've come to listen to this message. What's the preacher thinking? Well, I've got to basically give the best sermon of my life right now because we've got to find a way to keep these people. We've got to find a way that they can come back next week and we can keep them here and this is going to be amazing. But in Luke chapter 14 or 10, something like that, I think I've written it down actually. Let me confirm this for you. 
my Bible's open in the wrong spot. This is all thoroughly rehearsed and well-practiced. Now, now would be a great time to heckle me, seriously. Like, Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> Luke 14. It happens in Luke 14, right? This, this crowd of thousands of people gathers in front of Jesus. And what do you think Jesus says? He turns around and he says, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister and your children, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, then you cannot be my disciple. He basically says, go away. If you're not serious about this, then this is a waste of your time. That is the cost of what it means to actually follow Jesus. And so what I'm inviting you into tonight is, is away from cheap grace, away from easy believism and into what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus Christ. Who here knows how to play the card game 500? No surprises to the Allen family. And I'm glad that you've taught your son to, to play. That's good. All right, the game 500, and those of you who do know how to play it know exactly what I mean. But if you're at a, you're at a social gathering and you've got a deck of cards, and you're like, who wants to play 500? You need at least four people to play. And you have to have a special deck if you want to go to six. But it's only four or six people. And so you're essentially hunting around for those three other people that you know you're going to get a good game. And if you've only got three people who know how to play 500, and then somebody puts their hand up and says, I don't know how to play, but I'm happy to learn. Yeah, that's exactly the reaction, isn't it? Because you know that 500 is not a game that you can just learn. It is a difficult game. There are different phases to the game. There's a lot of unspoken tactics. You work in a team, and so if one person doesn't know how to play, you know, if they play the wrong card, it ruins the whole rounds, right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So typically, if, you, if there's three of you and one person says, I'm happy to learn, the three of you sort of look and go, oh, no, let's play Go Fish or something instead. You see, the thing is, if you were to try and convince that person, if, if no one put their hand up, right, you only had three people and you're like, who wants to learn? Who wants to learn 500? It's, it's, gonna, it's a great game. You're going to have lots of fun. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're in a team. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. Right? If you sell it that way to someone, you've sold them a lie. <laughs> because they're going to play and, and they're going to have no idea what they're doing. They're going to make so many mistakes and they're just going to feel totally inadequate. And you see, we've done the same thing with, with discipleship. We've done the same thing with Christianity. Is that if we've sold you the idea that being a follower of Christ is easy... If you, if you can just add it to your life and keep going down the road that you're going, then unfortunately, you've been set up for failure. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ costs a lot more than that. You know what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said? He said, salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. And so I wonder, I wonder if you're a follower of Jesus. I wonder if you're a disciple of Jesus tonight. We're going to see in this passage that there is a, a need, a very significant need for these new disciples to go deep. And so we're going to have a look at that in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas have made their way to Iconium. They are on their missionary journey. They're going about preaching the gospel, establishing 
churches, but they're not simply seeking to establish converts, people who believe, who, who sign up, who you know, get the t-shirt, uh, punch their ticket to heaven, stick it in their back pocket and get on with life. They're seeking to establish deep disciples. And we see chapter 14, verse one. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And at this point, we should be familiar with the idea that they liked to go around and go into the synagogue, preach to the Jews first because they were both Jews and because Paul often got the invite to speak at that occasion. Right, and they preach in such a way that a large number of Jews and Greeks believed. But, verse two, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So they arrive at Iconium, they preach in the synagogue, lots of people come to know Jesus, they express faith, they become disciples. Now notice there's, there's no sinner's prayer in there, right? And in fact, nowhere in the Bible do we find a sinner's prayer. Not that I'm, you know, I hate the, the sinner's prayer, you, you should definitely confess your faith and something that's tangible like that is a very important way. But when we see people believe in Jesus, we see them start to live a life of discipleship. Not simply be people who say, yes, I believe in Jesus, now let me get on with my life. So they establish a group of believers there, and then they stay for a while. There's lots of signs and wonders going on, but the city is still divided. And eventually they get pushed out. And we're going to see this all through the book of Acts. As Paul and Barnabas go on this mission to preach the gospel, eventually the city gets sick of them. The, the people believe, and they establish a, a, a church or, or a group of people there who are believers, but... The majority of the city is like, we don't like you anymore, please go away, but not that politely. They say that, but with stones um, and uh, hurting them. So we want to just sit in verses two and three for tonight. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I wanna draw a couple of points from uh, what is happening here. So if you are a notes person, then go ahead and take notes, uh, and you have my respect and appreciation for doing that. Firstly, when the gospel is preached in this city, it causes division. There are people who decide that they believe this message, that they put their faith in Jesus, and then there are people who don't. And when the gospel takes a deep root in these people's lives, the line between a disciple and a non-disciple gets bolder, not blurrier. All right, when this group of people take into themselves the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it begins to work in their heart, the difference between them and somebody who is you know, just a regular Jew or a, or a non-believer at all, the line gets bolder rather than blurrier. And I wonder, in your situation, in your context, whatever that looks like day to day, Monday to Saturday, 
Is the line between you and somebody who doesn't believe bold or is it blurry? Could somebody confuse you for a person who has no faith? Or is there something clearly different about you? Are you happy to be confused with people who you know, don't believe? Or are you sure that of all things, I want people to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that following him is the most important thing in my life? You see, the gospel makes the distinction between a disciple and a non-disciple blurrier, a bolder rather than blurrier. Wow, way, way to like say exactly the wrong thing. A- another missed opportunity to heckle me. What, what are you guys doing? Oh, I appreciate that, thank you. <laughs> Secondly, there was opposition to faith. The gospel is preached and these people accept that the lines... Uh, get bolder between the two, but that doesn't guarantee that one's gonna like oppose the other, right? It just means that they look different. But in fact, there is opposition. The other group of people doesn't like the fact that there's this new group or this group looks different or believes different or tells them that something's wrong in what they're doing or what they're saying or what they're believing, and so they oppose. This group of Jews opposes the message, and you can you know, think about whatever motivation that might be born from, but that opposition becomes into inaction, right? And we see that the Jews poisoned their mind against the brothers. And that's an interesting phrase, and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what it means, poisoning their mind against the brothers. But we need to understand that as somebody who seeks to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, there is opposition out there that is going to try and dissuade you from doing that. And if you were to take just a few moments and think, what in my world, what in my context is seeking to pull me away from faith? If you can't think of anything, chances are you're losing. If you've not taken into consideration that there are factors in your life that are trying to pull you away from following Jesus, then you need to figure out what those are because they are there and you don't want them to be winning. Now, I believe that God is bigger than that, right? But we need to understand that there are going to be uh, opposition. There's going to be oppositions to what's happening. Now, the third thing. Okay, so the first thing, the lines get bolder, not blurrier. Second thing, there is opposition to faith. Third thing, the brothers, all right, which is the word for the, the new disciples, the people who are at Iconium who believed, they didn't go anywhere. They stayed. Right, Paul and Barnabas were on this mission. They were moving around, planting churches, going to, from place to place. But the new converts stayed there. All right, so they're in a situation where they, there's suddenly this line, this distinction between them and between the other people. There's opposition now against them. And notice it says poison their minds against the brothers, not against Paul and Barnabas necessarily, but against everyone. Right, so everybody is feeling this opposition. And yet they stayed. They didn't go anywhere. What does that mean, right? If we are in a situation, we're in a context where the other, the people who don't believe, there's opposition coming against us, what is our role in that environment to just stay there, okay? Because is, is our role to stay in a world that's going to oppose 
the, the message of Jesus Christ so that we can point the finger at them or to stay in that place uh, so that we can call them out for you know, things that they're doing wrong or things that they're believing wrong or, or doing differently. No. The reason that they had to stay there was because that's what God wanted, to position a witness in that community, to position a witness in that environment. And so as Christians, it's not our responsibility to sort of withdraw and, and make sort of like this corner in society where we've got no influence and interaction with uh, people who don't know Jesus. We're not to like start a, a commune and, and just totally block ourselves off from the world. The whole point is for us to be different and to stay because God's placed us there as witnesses. And it would, it's, it would be surprising, I think, to most people here if you were to read through 1 Corinthians and how Paul talks about treating people outside the church. Right? But Paul essentially owns up to the fact, he's like, who am I? What have I got to do with judging unbelievers? All right, when I told you not to associate with the sexually immoral, I didn't, I didn't at all mean the people who aren't believers. I meant the people who were believers. If there are believers among you who are, who are doing the wrong thing, you need to sort that out. But I'm not talking about the people outside. Right, Paul actually says it's not our role. It's not our responsibility to tell them they're living wrong. It's our responsi- responsibility to be there, to be different, and to show them Jesus. that's the third thing, they stayed. The fourth thing is that who do you think was most concerned with confirming the truth of this message? Who do you think was supporting uh, more than anybody else the fact that this message was true? Have a guess. Interaction time. It's on on the verses up there. Who was doing the, the heavy lifting to try and prove that this is true? I'd have some game show music playing right now, waiting for an answer. The Lord, thank you. God himself is most concerned with this truth being shown to be true. Okay, the pressure is off you. Do you understand that? Right, if you're in an environment, it's not your job to prove that the truth is true. That's the job of the person whose truth it is, which is Jesus. Now, all of these signs and wonders are are taking place, which confirms the truth of the message. But notice at the same time, and this is the fifth thing, even still, the environment was not totally converted. Even with God showing up with miraculous signs and wonders, I mean, imagine that you were to, you've got a broken leg, you were to hobble into a uh, medical clinic, and there are two doctors there. And one of them uh, presents you his, his pamphlet, he's a surgeon, and he says, look, this is the way that we treat broken legs, and this is the, all of the research behind it, and you know, this is how we, we set the leg, and then I'll put you, you know, on the operating table, and we do this. And then you see uh, you know, somebody come out of his, his uh, consultation room with like this big cast on, and, the, and their, their face is, is painful, and, and they're sort of hobbling out that way, and you go, ooh, that doesn't look comfortable. And then you see somebody else, that another doctor comes out and uh, he doesn't have a pamphlet and he says, hey, <laughs> you know, I can fix your leg, but if I'm honest, I don't know how it works. I have this machine, you just walk in or you hobble in and you walk out and I don't know how it works, but it does it. And then you watch somebody go into this machine and then come out and suddenly their leg is just healed. I mean, which one of those doctors are you going to choose? 
the one with the proof, right? See, this is what's happening, is that God is confirming the truth of his own message by miraculous signs and wonders. And here's a, a, something to reveal about the human condition, right, is that you can see miracles, you can see signs and wonders, and you can still reject. You can still reject God. You know, when we, when we live in a world that doesn't believe in the supernatural, and, and we think that, you know, well, they think, right, this is what people say. They think, if God just showed up and did a miracle, if God just did something supernatural, then I would believe well, yeah, you would think so. But the truth is actually no, because they'll see that miracle and they'll try to explain it away as, as something else or they'll question the legitimacy of that. And Jesus actually told a story about that, about uh, the rich man and the, and the poor man, right? The, the poor man dies and he's gone to be with Abraham and then uh, the rich man uh, dies and then he's gone to eternal torment. And then he, he calls out over this divide, it's an analogy, right? It's just a picture. He calls out to Abraham and he says, you know, can you go and send somebody to... Uh, my brothers, they all need to know that I was wrong about life. You know, if, they, if somebody comes back from the dead, then they're going to believe. And then Abraham says, well, no, because they've got the law and the prophets, which is essentially the Old Testament, right? They've got scripture. If they're not gonna believe scripture, they're not gonna believe a miracle. Right, and so God is showing up and doing all of these incredible signs and wonders to show that this message is true, and even still, the only people who are believing are the people that Liam was preaching about last week, if you were here. If you weren't here, go and look at it uh, online. I'm not gonna touch that can of worms, so I'll leave that to Liam. But here's the thing. You're called to be different to your environment. You're called to stay in your environment, and you're not expected to convert the whole environment. You're not expected for suddenly all of society to become a Christian utopia. We call that heaven, and it's going to be great, but it's not going to be here. Okay, your job is, is not for suddenly every leader in the world to be a Christian, or for every leader in your context to be a Christian. And you put all of those things together, and then you end up with uh, that part of verse 3, which says, so they remained for a long time. Why did the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, why did they have to remain for a long time? Because there was opposition. Because the, the brothers, the disciples were gonna stay. Because they weren't gonna successfully turn everybody over. This is the reason that we need to go deep in discipleship, right? Is because there is going to be opposition to you wanting to believe. Right, there are going to be forces that are trying to pull you away from, the, from belief, which is why we need to go deep. Is that making sense? Okay, I've got some polite nods, so I'm going to assume that it's maybe making a bit of sense. Let me, let me try and explain it another way. If you are a, a football player, you're a rugby player, Right, and you are uh, you're a, you're a forward. You're you're involved in like taking tackles all the time. Your job is to uh, have no neck and run with the ball, and to, and to go to the ground. What do you do in order to prepare for that? You go to the gym. You work out. You try and get uh, as little neck as possible. The reason 
that the disciples needed to go deep was because they were going to face opposition. They needed strengthening because somebody was going to try and tackle them to the ground, spiritually speaking. So the reasons that Paul and Barnabas stay are because they, these people need to go deep. Because shallow Christianity is, is no Christianity at all. Because cheap grace is not discipleship. Because if Jesus is not Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord at all. And this is why we need to go deep. Now, let me just uh, foreshadow something here. One reason you need to go deep is because there is opposition, but that is not the only reason. Okay, so tonight, this is, that's what's coming out of this passage. I'm talking about the opposition that you are going to face. But there are other, and in my opinion, greater reasons to be a deep disciple, and we'll talk about those briefly, but we're focusing tonight on the opposition. Poisoning their mind against the brothers. What does that mean? So the way that that is phrased is, um, I mean, it's quite, it's a good picture, isn't it? It's, it's not simply an argument, right? It's not two people standing up and debating and trying to prove, hey, my way is better than yours. It's, it's, this is something like, you know, character assassination. They're sort of trying to, to disparage, trying to discredit the voices, trying to discredit the message. It's like sneaky kind of underhanded stuff. The kind of stuff that we see at election time where, you know, that one ad comes up and he's like, how can you trust Albanese, somebody's eyes are that close together, you know? Like they don't focus on, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I'm making this up on the spot if you, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm not espousing any political views, by the way. Um, just making fun of the current person in office. But this is sort of sneaky, underhanded, like trying to discredit the person who's bringing the message, not necessarily acting convinced. Because what can you do? What can you do when, when the other team has like supernatural support? You can't convince somebody of the truth other, uh, that something else is true, and so you've got to sort of hit below the belt. So what does that look like? What is poisoning our minds in this day and age? You've had a few minutes to think about it now. What is it in your context that is seeking to pull you away from belief in God? And, and let me just clarify, I mean, pull you away from real and deep discipleship. Okay, because if the enemy can convince you that two hours on a Sunday is enough to be a, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, then you are already being pulled away. What forces in your life are seeking to stop you from devoting everything to God, from giving him everything in your life. I couldn't possibly hope to cover all of them tonight, so please don't yell one out, otherwise I won't be prepared. But I will give you a few that I have thought about a little bit. The first one is going to be a public messaging which discredits and undermines the message of Jesus. And this will differ depending on what environment uh, you are in, but all of us are exposed to you know, general media and that kind of thing. And typically, Christian belief doesn't get a good rap. And typically, that kind of is not going to affect too much of us. We're sort of able to kind of see through that and go, well, I know that that's a media representation. Right? It's not gonna, not gonna pull you away. So we don't actually, in our society, get too much uh, sort of direct and personal opposition. Right, you're not going to bump into someone necessarily day to day who's going to try and dissuade you from uh, faith in Christ. But what that does mean is that the things which do try and pull you away are a little bit sneakier. 
than that. And we do have to think about it. Another thing is going to be a, the pressure to compromise. The pressure to compromise on what you know to be true. Because it is part of human nature to not want to believe something because it doesn't feel right with us. And I remember being in Bible college, I had a change of theology lecturers and I you know, had a lot of respect for the first theology lecturer that we had and then the second one uh, who came along seems to not want to commit to anything. You know, the first one was like, here are the options, this one's what I believe, uh, this is why. The second one was like, here are the options and well, you can choose what you want. I don't want to commit one way or the other. And it seemed as though he didn't want to commit to a, a certain belief because it was uncomfortable. It's basically like saying to God, hey God, I appreciate all of those things that you said, but I'm going to pick and choose the ones that sit right with me. And so can I say that if there are aspects of, of Christian faith and Christian belief that you're uncomfortable with, search it out. Do your homework. Do your research. But at the end of the day, you need to believe what your convinced scripture says, even if that means that you're uncomfortable. Because frankly, God's bigger than you. <laughs> He's bigger than me. And if he said something, it's, it's, that's what makes it good. Remember that when the gospel was preached, the lines got bolder, not blurrier. And so the pressure to compromise in your, your beliefs or your actions or your practice is actually pressure to make those lines blurrier rather than bolder. And so pressure might not necessarily be to do with a, a particular conviction about belief, but it might be the way you behave in a certain environment. It might be that the kind of language that you use. It might be the way you respond or react to certain situations, whether somebody else is being ridiculed. You know, how do you respond to that? Is, the, is, are you, is, the, is there a blurry line between you and, and other people? So there is gonna be pressure to compromise. So how do you know what is compromise? Well, for a long time, uh, I've been a, uh, a supporter of a, an English football team called uh, Manchester United, who had a win this morning. Um, they're not doing too well otherwise, but uh, it was a win this morning. So, If you were to, to ask me, you know, who are the, the most famous players to wear the, the number seven jersey for Manchester United? then I'd be able to tell you that in chronological order, it's George Best, Eric Cantona, David Beckham, and Cristiano Ronaldo. And the reason I know that is because I've been an, an embarrassing disciple of that team for a long time, right? To the point where it drives my wife nuts that I, I, I cannot get out of bed early, and then she'll wake up and she's like, oh, Sandy's up early today. Inevitably, it's because I'm up watching a football game on the other side of the world. But I've been a disciple and a follower of that team. I've spent the hours watching their games. I've watched the, the documentaries. I've read the articles. And so I know what is compromise in following that team. And that if somebody comes along and tries to convince me that they're a, they're a fan or, or they're a supporter of that team, and I say, oh, you're, what do you reckon of, of, of David Beckham? They go, David who? Well, I know that actually <laughs> you're not what you say you are. So how do you know if you're compromising on your Christian belief and, and faith and practice? Well, you have to be a disciple in order to do it. You have to go deep in order to know what's compromise and what is not. 
Now, finally tonight, in terms of what poisoning looks like, and this is where it might get a little bit heavy. We're all influenced by the lie that you can have it all. That you can be a disciple, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and still live your life how you want it. That you can grab faith in Jesus, a ticket to heaven, and then put it as kind of like that appendix to your life. And so you've, you've written a book about the story of your life and there's this, there's this sort of section at the end that says, by the way, also believed in Jesus, also going to heaven. Got that one right, tick. But the majority of the chapters of your life are about success, pursuing wealth, and comfort. And if you've believed that you can make all of the decisions in your life, where you live, what you do, who you hang out with, who you choose to love, who you choose not to love, if you can make all of those decisions based on wealth, success, and comfort, instead of putting Jesus at the top of all of that, then you've believed a lie. And you've actually fallen into cheap grace. To say that my life can be about the things that I want it to be, and Jesus can be added to that. You know, if, if I could give you a bit of preacher honesty at the moment, I love it when after a message, people are like, thanks for that. That was so encouraging. That was so good. I love that encouragement. It really does a lot for my soul. But it's not why I preach. Because if people give, you know, all of that positive feedback and all of that encouragement and then on Monday their life looks no different, then I may as well not be here talking. Because if we've not come with that understanding that after today, I want to be a, a deeper disciple of Jesus. I want to love him more. I want more of his presence in my life. I want to be more faithful to him. I, I, I want to know who he is more. Then we are wasting our time. And we tend to word these things pretty carefully from the pulpit when we talk about you know, wealth and when we talk about uh, success because, quite frankly, we're in Kenmore. And there's a lot of very uh, successful and wealthy people who love the Lord who come here. And so we're very careful when we say, you know, don't serve money, serve Jesus, but it's okay still. Money's not bad in itself, but Jesus has, has to be at the top. We're very careful there. But can I just say it to you straight for a moment? Because if you are pursuing wealth and success as the most important part of your life, then it would be better for you to be living in poverty and to have Jesus on the throne of your heart. Because if you've convinced yourself that all of your life can be about what makes you, you good and, and important and successful in, in the worldly standards and, and Jesus can kind of come alongside of that and bless that uh, and increase that, but you've not actually let him sit on the throne of your life, then you are missing out. You're sowing stuff for this world and not for eternity. You're building a book of you know, achievements and, and status and, and stories that when you get to heaven and God says, were you, were you a faithful servant? It's like, well, I went to church and look at all this other stuff that I did. And God's gonna say, I, I don't care about that. He doesn't. God doesn't care if you're rich. God cares 
if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you follow him and if you love him. And so if your life at the moment is, is being built around being comfortable, being built around status, success, or being built around wealth, then you are heading towards an unfulfilled end. And I don't care if none of you encourage me after this sermon, because I care more about you having a life that's fulfilled. See, that lie is the lie of cheap grace, that you can come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you don't have to repent of any sin. You don't actually have to change a life to to live a life that reflects the glory of God because he's called you and chosen you and made you different. It's the lie that says you, you don't have to surrender all of your life. You can get that, punch that ticket to heaven and then, you know, keep some parts of who you are for yourself. It's the lie that says, actually, you're still writing your own book rather than the truth that says, actually, you're now part of Jesus' book. Your life is not your own. And in fact, being a Christian, is, a successful Christian is about dying to self and about Christ's life coming through you. And if you've believed the lie that you can pick and choose who you love, that in this environment, in this church environment, you, you don't have to love the, the person that annoys you or that person that you don't really relate to very well. That's cheap grace. I remember once on a, uh, a scripture union camp, uh, we were on a gents, gents camp. And uh, for those of you who have been, it's, it's a really sort of impactful time just because it's targeted kind of at that uh, age group, right, um, teenage boys. And I remember at one time we had our, our response where we sort of, we showed them the gospel and we said, all right, who's gonna believe in Jesus? This is what Jesus has done for you. Who's gonna believe? And the way that we did that response, we were like, if you want to make a decision to believe in Jesus, if you wanna become a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, then you can stay right here in this room. Everyone else, the next part of the program is out there. You can go. And we gave that invitation and no one moved. Everyone stayed. And I thought, these, these boys don't understand. All right, nobody's willing to sort of like own up and go, yeah, this is not for me, and to stand up and to walk out. And so I got up and I, I gave it to them. I said, boys, you, you don't understand what you're, you're, what you're saying. You don't understand the response that you're making. This is not an easy road to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. And fair enough, after that, a couple of people got up and went out. But the invitation that I wanna give to you tonight is that same invitation. Because salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. And so, uh, Yolanda and, and the band can start coming up. And I wanna invite you to leave cheap grace for following Jesus, real and true discipleship. Now I said that uh, opposition is one reason to go deep, but there are a couple of better reasons to go deep. 
that don't appear in, in this passage. The second reason that you need to go deep as a disciple is because sooner or later, you are going to go through suffering. But Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. And there is not a single person, no Christian is exempt from going through suffering. But it's how you respond to that suffering that determines the extent to which your life glorifies Jesus. Not only that, but how you go through that suffering, how deep your discipleship is, actually determines the extent to which you're okay. That's part of what Jesus was trying to do to get people to follow him, was to go, I've got it on your behalf. You're going to be okay. Everybody's going to suffer, but if you belong to me, you're going to be okay. And so you need to go deep as a disciple because if you haven't yet, there's gonna be some parts in your life that, that are hard. That's, that's just reality, I'm sorry. Things are gonna suck for a while, but it's how you go through that that determines the extent to which God is glorified through you. And the third reason that deep discipleship is important is the same reason that cheap pizza tastes kind of bad. Why do you think pizza is like such a commonly available fast food? Because when pizza is done well by a proper Italian, it is amazing. See, the cheap pizza is just like cheap grace. Discipleship that doesn't go deep actually doesn't taste that good at all. But discipleship that goes deep, discipleship that gets the real thing, knowing Jesus deeply in every part of your life, in every corner of your soul, is the sweetest thing that you could possibly have in the universe. <laughs> so I'm gonna pray. And I just want you to respond in, in your own heart and, and just talk to God. We'll close our eyes. Father, we just acknowledge that the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to, to lay our life down, to, to suffer alongside you, but to, to be lifted by your strength, to know that your cross has paid for all of it. And Father, this is a difficult call. It's the same call that you made to that, that crowd of thousands of people who approached you and, and you turned around and said, you're not cut out for it unless you're all in. And God, we wanna be all in tonight. If there are ways and, and parts of our lives and, and things that have not been all in for you, then we just wanna surrender them to you now. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes? We're just gonna sit with the silence and just respond to God. We'll have prayer available for anyone who needs prayer. But would tomorrow be different? Would Monday to Saturday look like you're a follower of Jesus? 
would you let those lines become bolder and not blurrier?